Man, it's good to see all of you guys here with us this morning. I'm really excited about today in week three of our series called Thankful. Uh, if you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, you know that we're, we're really kind of delving into or diving into this idea of what gratitude really looks like as it, as it plays out into our, our daily lives and so the way that we think about things, the way that we view and process society and the culture around us. And uh, I'm really excited today to, to, to ad, kind of adventure into this, this new idea for some of us and for, for a lot of us, an idea that we're still growing in and this idea of our generosity. If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Brian. I'm the teaching pastor here. I have the opportunity a lot of weeks to, to come up here and to open God's word and figure out how we can then apply what it says to our lives. And so I'm really grateful uh, that you're here with us today. Uh, so I want to kind of set up our time together today um, with, a, with a story uh, about my past and something that I'm not proud of. Um, it's something that I've uh, I struggled with for a while. Um, uh, a bunch of years ago, I don't remember how many now, um, I was a fan of the Joe Millionaire show. You guys remember that show? The reality TV? Like I said, I'm... I, I'm, I'm bearing myself to you guys here, so I, a little grace would be appreciative. Uh, there was this reality TV show. It was a dating show, uh, and it was about this guy <clears throat> who was not a millionaire, but they told all of these beautiful young women that he was a millionaire. And so the, the object of the, the, the show and the drama was that he was going to date all these women, kind of like they do on some of those other trashy uh, dating shows, and they, they will remain nameless for now um and he would he would like court them and they would try to woo him and win his love and at the end of the show that they would declare their love for one another and then they would tell her oh by the way he's a construction worker that makes like 50 grand a year not a millionaire and it's like this true test of love whether or not he was really if they were really in it for the the, the dude or they were really in it for the money it was like the ultimate gold digger show now i as a 30 something year old man watched this show religiously because i wanted to know if they were going to out a gold digger now this was before we had dvr in my house but I got sucked into this show, and every single week I would plan my day. I don't even remember now what day it came on, but I would plan my day to make sure that my wife and I were at home during the time that the show was on so that I could watch it. That's my sin. I apologize to you on behalf of men everywhere for my lack of manliness. I had my man card revoked. I have since, I've since received it back unto myself, and I cherish it greatly. I no longer watch any kind of dating show for the record. But this one, I, I was so sucked into the story, so sucked into this, this idea of what they were going to you know, figure out and what they were going to decide about who loved who and who was in it for what and all this. I was so sucked into the drama that I had to watch it. I had to plan my day around watching this crap TV show. It was terrible. Oh, man. Maybe some of you have experienced a similar type of compulsion. Maybe not with TV shows or uh, maybe nothing that you have to watch on TV, but um, it, it, that, this idea of being compelled by something and drawn to something and I have to see something or I have to do something, 
it, it, it expands beyond you know, TV shows into the, some of these things that we almost can't look away from. I don't know if you guys remember where you were on 9-11, but I do. I remember that day, uh, I was still in the Marine Corps, and we were all sitting around TV that we had in, in a shop where we worked, and we had work to get done. But I couldn't pull myself away from the images on the television. Like, I had to, I had to keep watching. I couldn't not watch. It was a compulsion. As I continue to grow now, even in my own walk with Christ, what I'm learning more and more and more is that my relationship with Christ is more defined by the things that I feel I have to do than the things that I feel like I should do. That there's, there's a compulsion. There's something about the, the gospel. There's something about my, my relationship with Christ that continues to, to draw me into things that I feel like I have to do in response to what has been done for me. And we've talked a lot about that the last couple of weeks. And if this is your first day with us and you've missed the, the last couple of weeks, I'd really encourage you to check out our website and listen to the podcast and, and, and kind of catch up on this idea. But what we've been talking about is that in, in response to what God has done for us, in the giving of his son so that we can be free from our sins so that we can have hope for today and hope for a future and peace in our lives and all that other kind of stuff that he gives to us through the gift of his son. Then in response to that, that there should be this, this, this measure of gratitude that wells up within us so much in fact that this, we're so overwhelmed with the gratitude that it's flowing out of us and then kind of manifesting itself in different areas of our life. And today... I want us to take a look at another one of those areas. But, but before we do that, here's, I believe this is what defines us as believers. This compulsion, this life of response that we're called to live in regards to what we've been given, this, this good news that we have in our lives that we call the gospel the good news of a God who loved us and the giving of his son. And so this is, I wanted to just kind of give you this morning, this is my definition. I didn't find this anywhere. I just kind of, this is, as I think about my faith personally and specifically to me, this is, this is how I define my relationship with Christ. And this is how I would then define your relationship with Christ if given the opportunity to define that for you. Does that make sense? If I could define your relationship with Christ, this is how I would define it. Let's put it on the screen. My definition of a Christ follower is someone who lives their life in continuous response to the gospel. That because of the gospel, right, we talked in week one about because God, because God, I do this. Because of the gospel, because of God, because of what he's done, this is how I live my life. This is how I think about things. This is how I go about everything that I do, every decision that I make, every person that I interact with, everything that happens in my life is viewed through the lens of how can I facilitate this particular part of my life in a way that demonstrates that I have been moved and changed by the gospel. There's a compulsion to how we live when we believe and understand what it is that Christ has done for us. We don't have a choice. We're forced to live in a way in response 
to some outside force. The term that the Apostle Paul often used in Scripture to, to, to define his relationship with Christ was slave, compelled, driven, no choice of his own, but a slave to the gospel. I wanted to read you one example so you, you didn't think I was just making it up. Romans chapter 1, verse 1, Paul says, this is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. A slave, compelled, driven, controlled by an outside element. And for us, that outside element that we are controlled by is the gospel, the good news, the love of a God, the gift of a son, the sacrifice that buys our freedom from sin. See, when we think about the gospel, when we think about our lives in those terms, our gratitude, the ways that we demonstrate gratitude, it should, just, it should be natural. There's, there should be nothing forced about gratitude. I don't, I don't know how many of you have kids, but I have kids, and this is what we have to make them do. When somebody does something nice for my children as they continue to grow and learn, and we talked a little bit about that last week as well, we have to, what do you say? What do you tell the nice man? What do you tell the, like, yeah, what do you say? And it's, you have, to, you have to teach them to say, thank you. But, but now as an adult, there's nobody, again, I don't want to re-preach last week's message, but very much as we grow into mature believers in Christ, something that changes in us as we live our life in response to the gospel is this. Nobody should have to tell us to tell Jesus thank you. It should be natural. It should be compelled. It should be a compulsion behind our gratitude, and it should show up in our, in our lives in a myriad of ways. And one of the ways that it should continue to show up in our lives is in our generosity and our compassion-based service to other people, our generosity. Dave Ramsey said it like this. He said, outrageous gratitude, I would add in response to the gospel, leads to outrageous generosity which leads to outrageous contentment. You want to be content? You want to, you want to feel fulfilled? Man, it starts with how much of yourself you give away. That when we are outrageously grateful, we will be outrageously generous. And in that generosity is where we can find tremendous contentment. And so Paul was trying to communicate this idea to the church at Corinth. He was trying to, to get them to buy into this idea. He was explaining to them the very same thing that I'm attempting to explain to you. That when you are so moved by the gospel that you can't help it. Like there's something you got to do. You're just kind of hyper ADD, like ADHD about it. Like I, I'm, I love Jesus and because I love Jesus, I got to do something. I got to do something. What can I do? What can I do? And he was trying to, to get that, that mentality into the minds of the people in Corinth. And so he gave them an example of another group of people who were already living this like psycho weird generosity, gratitude lifestyle. And I say psycho weird in the most affectionate way possible. Because what he was trying to get across to them is that generosity on this scale doesn't look 
normal. It's not normal. It's outside of what you would expect. And so Paul, writing to the Corinthians, gives them an example of another group of people. And so I believe that it's applicable. If Paul was giving this other group of people as an example to the church at Corinth, we could also look at them as an example for Fusion City Church. And so this is what Paul says to the church in Corinth. or 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. He said, now we make known to you, brothers and sisters, the grace of God given to the churches of Macedonia. So let me, t- let me tell you about them boys over in Macedonia. Let me tell you about those people over in Macedonia, what Paul is saying. That during a severe ordeal of suffering, don't, don't brush past that. I want to hang there for a minute. I don't need to reread it. I just want us, I don't want us to miss that. In a severe ordeal of suffering, their abundant joy. Time out. Great ordeal of suffering doesn't normally get followed with abundant joy. We tracking? Like, Paul just said there was this UNC Tar Heel fan that went and pulled for the Duke Blue Devils and then, like that's, it's so outrageous. It's, it, it just, you just, those two things don't fit together. They don't match. They don't line up. But he says, in their great or during a severe ordeal of suffering, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty. So not only are they suffering, but they're poor in suffering. And they're joyful. Their extreme poverty has overflowed in the wealth of their generosity. Broke, suffering, poor people who have abundant joy, so full of it, so grateful that it just pours out in their generosity. They're, they're, they're poor, they're in poverty, but they got a wealth of something. What they have a wealth of uh, is generosity. So here's kind of the big idea for our time together this morning. If you wanna write something down that kind of surmises everything we're gonna cover today, this is what I want us to walk away with. That generosity is not an amount. It's something that is measured by the condition of your heart. Generosity is not an amount. It's, it's measured by the condition of your heart. And that's exactly what Paul is going to go on to explain as we keep reading. Verse 3, he says, For I testify, I'm telling you the truth, they gave according to their means and beyond their means. So they didn't just give what they could afford to give, they gave above and beyond. That's what generosity means. They did so voluntarily, watch this, begging us with great earnestness. If you need a word picture, this is a pleading. They were pleading with us for the blessing and fellowship of helping the saints. They were begging and pleading. It kind of sounds like compulsion, doesn't it? Not vol- they weren't, this wasn't voluntary. They weren't doing this, they, they, or they did this voluntarily. Nobody was forcing them, yet they felt compelled. That, that nobody was forcing them to do anything, yet they were begging and pleading earnestly with us so that they could receive the blessing of helping other people. 
How does that happen? How do you get there? That in my extreme poverty and suffering, I have great joy. So much that I would beg and plead with somebody for the opportunity to help other people. I have a theory. Here's my theory. We get there when we continuously live our life in response to the gospel. That that as we are so moved by the gospel, so compelled by the gospel, it will naturally be an outflow that shows up as generosity in our lives. Paul keeps going. He didn't let him off the hook. He's, he's going to beat the point home. I'm going to show you how awesome these people in Macedonia were. Verse 5. And they did this, not just as we had hoped, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. They were responding to what God had done in their lives. They, they gave themselves first to him. And because of their their response to the gospel, because they're living in this, because they've given themselves to God, because that is the the, the source and the the foundation of from where they're getting all of this motivation to go out and be generous, because they did it then, because they went to him first, now it naturally shows up everywhere else. Because to, to truly be a Christ follower, we have to be continuously living our lives in response to the gospel. It's a, it's a compulsion. You can't help it. You're a slave. There's, you can't not be generous when you're living a life of gratitude in response to that which God has given. You have to. Verse 6. Thus we urged Titus that just as he had previously begun this work, so also he should complete this act of kindness for you. But as you excel in everything, in faith and in speech, in knowledge and in all eagerness, I don't want us to miss that, and in the love from us that is in you, make sure that you excel in this act of kindness too. Here's what Paul's saying. You can speak well. You can be really smart. You can even be really nice. You can be a generally good person. But don't miss this specific act of kindness. There should be an eagerness that comes when you think about the opportunities in front of you to be generous. There should be an eagerness. You should be eager to do it. Verse 8, this is where it gets real. I'm not saying this as a command. Let me stop. This is what Paul says. I can't make you be generous. There's nothing I can tell you. There's nothing I can do. There's nothing that that I can say. There's no motivation. There's no reward out there that I can promise you to make you a generous person. You can't, I can't make you, but I can test you. I can test and see if you're generous, and here's how. But I am testing the genuineness of your love by comparison with the eagerness of others. In other words, Paul says, when I see you become as eager to be generous as the people in Macedonia, I'll know that your love for Christ and your gratitude for him is genuine. 
I debated on whether to say it this bluntly or not. I'm not typically one for pulling punches. Y'all know that. But, But here's what I think Paul is saying. You can't call yourself a believer and not be generous. It's, it's, it's disingenuous to claim the name of Christ upon your life and be a greedy and selfish person. You can't. The, the two are incongruent. They don't match. You can't do it. You can't do it. Verse 12. For if the eagerness is present... The gift itself is acceptable according to whatever one has, not according to what he does not have. Here's what Paul, again, here's what he's teaching us. The amount doesn't matter. The the amount doesn't make the gift acceptable or not. That's not what matters. What matters is the eagerness with which it is given. That's the only thing that matters. It can be a small gift. It can be a large gift. As long as it is given from a place that comes from a generous heart. And if it comes from a place that is not generous, the gift is not acceptable. God doesn't want guilt money. God doesn't want angry money. God doesn't want, com- com- God doesn't want money any other way than a general compulsion to be generous to him. God doesn't want any of your resources that way. Time, talent, money, any- anything that you have to give to God, he doesn't want you to give it with a grievous heart. For God loves a cheerful giver, Scripture says elsewhere. God wants to use his people to bless his people. But more than he wants to use people to bless people, God wants us to want to bless other people. There's an eagerness. There's a compulsion behind it. Men, have women, ever, have your wives ever played that card with you? I don't want you to just talk to me because I asked you to talk to me. I don't want you to spend time with me because I asked you to spend time with me. I want you to want to spend time with me. I want you to want to talk to me. Do you see the difference? And all the ladies are nodding, man, and y'all are not so much because y'all don't get it yet. That's why you're still having issues at home. That's another message for another day. We'll cover that in the marriage series next year. God doesn't want you to just be generous because you think, oh, fine, if God wants me to be generous, I'll just go out and try to be generous. That's, that's not it. There's an eagerness. There's a compulsion. There's, this, there's still this element of the condition of the heart that has to fuel our desire to be generous. God doesn't want you to just try to be generous. God wants you to want to be generous. And when you, the only way that you can want to want to be generous is if you're living your life in continuous response to the gospel. Because as the gospel informs your gratitude, your gratitude will inform your generosity. It doesn't come from a place of obligation. It comes from a place of compulsion. We don't have a choice to not be generous as followers of Christ. If you're not, just check your own heart. I don't know most of your heart. I don't know any of your hearts. I know what I think about a lot of you. I think I'm right. But test the, own, test the condition of your own heart. I can't do that for you. You have to do that for yourself. Test the condition of your heart and ask this question. If I'm a selfish and greedy person, if I don't care a thing in the world about doing anything nice for anybody else, 
If I am a non-generous person, listen, you're not a believer. I don't know. There's probably a nicer way to say it. I just don't know it. You cannot call yourself a follower of Christ and be a person who is not generous. You can't. I love you enough to be mean enough to tell you. Because, listen, the, 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 the best, the, the most disservice I could do to you as, as your pastor who loves you is let you walk out of here thinking that you and God are all hunky-dory and you're a selfish, greedy person. And I know that means you're not a believer. Now, we're glad you're here. We want you here. None of us are perfect, FYI. None of us have got it all figured out. I'm not a perfectly generous person, but I, I feel like there's something in me that requires me to to give of myself to other people. And I, that's not me. That's not my nature. I grew up a selfish person, materialistic. I wanted all the stuff. I was a, I was a give me person growing up. I, I, I liked the stuff. Give me the stuff. It's Jesus in me that changes me. That makes me want to give stuff away. It's him. It's a compulsion. I'm a slave. I don't, I don't have a choice. You can do the what? You can, you can give. You can serve. You can try to do all of the things that make you feel good about you. Right? So this, this is what could happen. Here's a scenario. Here's a hypothetical. Man, Pastor Brian said, if I'm not generous, I'm not a believer. So I'm going to give a whole bunch of stuff away so that I can feel like I'm a believer. It's got to be deeper. It's got to be deeper. That's the only way that it's sustainable. If it doesn't change at the heart level, it doesn't change at a level deep enough to make any kind of impact. When, when we started Fusion City Church, we started with this idea that if we could teach believers that it's more about the heart how you feel and to what you respond to more than about what you actually do, then the doing will take care of itself. The what is great. The, the what is great. We, could, we could probably put together some stuff and make a, make a big impact with the what, maybe. I, I, maybe. But it's the why that really matters. Because generosity has nothing to do with an amount has nothing to do with anything other than the condition of your heart. And so this is the vision that we had as the pastoral staff of Fusion. We sat down around a table and we dreamed of what it would look like for, for a church of a couple of hundred people to get this right. To be generous, not because they were trying to earn some kind of favor or some kind of blessing from God, but generous because they were so moved by the gospel that it wouldn't be this one-time act of generosity or some fleeting act of generosity, but it would become a lifestyle among the people of our church. So much, in fact, that our church would be known more by what we do in response to the gospel. We'll add a caveat, like parentheses, right? So in response, more known by what we do in response to the gospel than by where we meet. 
I get tired of answering the question that way. Hey, you're a pastor. Yes. Great. What church? Fusion City Church. Oh, are you the church that meets at the YMCA? Yeah, that's us. I, I hate that answer. Let me, tell you, let me tell you the answer that I prefer. Hey, you're a pastor, right? Yeah, what church? Oh, I'm with Fusion City Church. Hey, isn't that the church that gave a Christmas gift back to every single student in the city of Kannapolis? Yeah, that's us. That's us. Every school. Like we're, we started with one. We're moving up to two schools this year. My dream is for us to be known as the church that every Christmas, every student in the city of Kannapolis gets a Christmas gift bag from that Fusion City Church. Oh, where do y'all meet? Because I love that. I love that to be a follow-up question because then they're interested and they want to come hang out. But I would prefer their answer to be, oh, you're the church that did that whatever that, we'll, we'll figure out that as we grow and continue to figure out what it is that God wants us to do. But I would so much rather be defined as a church by what we do and the impact that we make and the lives that we change than by where we meet or who our pastors are. But I can't make Fusion City Church that way all by myself Pastor Quentin, Pastor Jonah, they, we, the three of us can't do it. We throw Chris in the mix. Our odds get a little better, but we still can't do it. All of our amazing volunteers are fantastic, but even with them, we're getting closer, but it's, we're not there. It's got to be all of us. It's got to be all of us. So moved and compelled by the gospel that every decision that we make, every act of kindness, every effort of, of generosity that we put forward is driven by one motivation and one motivation only, that we are so grateful to God for what he's done that we couldn't help but to be that generous. Can you be too generous? I, I don't think so. So here's what we're going to do today. Because like I said, I can't make you generous, Pastor Quentin, Pastor Jonah. None of, we can't make you generous. But I believe it is our obligation as a pastoral team and as a church to provide opportunities for you to practice or demonstrate generosity. And so we've already talked about this the last couple of weeks, but to, today's the big day. Today's the, the handout day. So let me tell you what we've done real quick. And again, you, you've heard it a couple of weeks now, but I, I want to reiterate it. For the last several years, two or three years, two years, we've partnered with the Kannapolis Intermediate School to give away 800 Christmas bags to each of their students. It's been a fantastic thing. Pastor Quentin told you this a couple of weeks ago. The first year we sat down and we were like, hey, let's, let's try to give a Christmas gift bag to every kid at KIS. And we were thinking like 400, 500 students. And they were like, oh, we got 800 students. We were like, I don't know if we can do that. That's a lot of kids. Man, we did it. It was awesome. We did stockings that year, if you remember. And then last year, we said, well, we did it last year. Why don't we do it one more time? Let's just, let's, we'll, we'll do gift bags this year instead of stockings. And we gave 800 kids at KIS some gift bags. And we also made a generous donation to Forest Park to help their nurse with some supplies that she needed. You did. You did that. I say we, I mean all of us. Because of your generosity to the church, we were able to do both. Like we kind of stepped up our game last year a little bit. We went from 800 bags to 800 bags and a gift to the nurse at Forest Park. 
And so we were sitting around the table a few months ago or about a month ago with our board of advisors. And we said, hey, what are we going to do? We, we, we love to do big, stuff, big time stuff at Christmas at our church as a, as a demonstration to our community that we love them. What do we do? Well, we've done the 800 bags. Let's do that again. And it just felt like, eh. And we, we did that already. So what do we do? So we decided to not only partner with the Kannapolis Intermediate School, but to partner with Forest Park as well to make sure that every child in both schools receive a Christmas gift bag this year full of some necessities and then a few fun items in there as well. So we went from 800 students that we committed as a church to provide for to 1,400. There's 600 students at Forest Park Elementary. And we feel the same way this year as we did two years ago talking about what we were, man, we got to figure out how in the world are we going to do 800 bags for students? Now we're kind of asking the same question. How in the world do we get to 1,400 bags? That's, that's tremendous. That's a, that's a huge jump. So I did math. Y'all know I love math. I did a little math. We've done 800 the last couple of years. And last year we hit it and we we're like, hey, that was cool. That just didn't feel like a whole didn't feel like an act of faith, to be honest. So we added 600 bags. And there's roughly about 200 of us that show up here on the weekend. If you do math real quick, that's three extra bags a person. It's, it's three bags. Now, I know that a lot of you, last year, you really stretched yourselves to, to give all that you could give. And maybe three more bags for you. It is not a possibility, but man, how awesome would it be if this year we become known as the church that did 1,400 bags for students? And then y'all can spend all year daring us to up it next year. And we'll see what God says. So when you leave this morning, on the, on the tables behind you, you probably saw them as you came in. There are 1,500 little plastic bags back there. We gave you the cards last week of the items that are supposed to go in the bags. We still have some more of those at the Hub if you'd like to have one. We'll also put them all on the Facebook page. And we, if we're going to be known as the church that just gives of itself and gives itself away continually and repeatedly, if we're going to be that church where the city would mourn when we close our doors, we talk about that a lot. Now we we got to get beyond ourselves. We have to allow ourselves to be so moved by the gospel that it overflows into our generosity. Maybe even if we're in a tremendous ordeal of suffering or extreme poverty, maybe this is just the thing we need to remind us about how blessed we really are to belong to a God who loves us so much that he would give his son. So as you leave today, the bags are there. Here's what I'm gonna ask. Man, check your heart. Test yourself. See if what your extreme and outrageous gratitude would inform of you as you consider how many kids you'll give a gift to this Christmas that don't belong to you. Let's pray together. Father, my my hope this morning is that as we commit together as a church to to tackle what we feel like is a a pretty big leap for us. That God, you would continue to influence and inform our hearts as we think about our generosity. 
God, we, we want to be generous people because we want to demonstrate to you that we're grateful. But those two things happen simultaneously. God, as we remember and as we consider your love for us, God, I'd like to believe that we couldn't help but be grateful. And as we continue to not be able to help how grateful we feel, God, it's my hope also that we wouldn't be able to help how generous we become. And that our generosity would be that kind that other people talk about. In the same way as Paul used the churches at Macedonia as an example to other Christians, God, it is my prayer that you would make Fusion City Church an example to other churches. As we demonstrate and live into that which you've called us to be. So God, help us this morning to be the generous people you've called us to be. And we'll do that in response to who you are, to how you love, and the sacrifice that was given on our behalf. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for your incredible love for us. We pray, Father, that you will be honored everything that we do, how we live, how we love, how we serve, and how we give. God, you're worthy of it. We pray it all in Christ's name. Amen.